thinking of retitling it High Definition Living. You know, those of you that have HDTV know that there's a big difference when you go from ordinary television to high definition television. There's a big difference when you go from ordinary living to what I would call high definition living. And high definition living really implies that you have some working wisdom at work. Now, if you want to be overcome, with the notion that life is pretty meaningless, it isn't hard to do. In fact, I'm going to tell you how to do it. If you want to lead a meaningless life, let me tell you how to do it. Just tell yourself over and over that this life is all there is. You keep telling yourself that, and I guarantee that despair will pretty much cover you in the next number of days. Now, why is that? Well, the reason is because we were created by God in the image of God, and we were created in such a way that we cannot be satisfied with the material, just the way things are. We have this spiritual vacuum inside. Somebody said, we're like, we're created with a God-shaped piece missing. That's why every culture you're in, you go all the way around the world, every culture has some system of theology, some belief, because there's this emptiness that they're trying to fill. And so it's our nature to yearn for something more, something spiritual. I mean, otherwise, what's the purpose of being here? I mean, I've said this many times. I'll be real honest with you, folks. If this life right now, if this is all there is to it, it ain't that great. It's okay, but it's not, I don't really know if it's that much to get excited about, if this is all there is. See, Paul actually argued that point. He said that if this world is all there is, then Christians are fools, and we should be pitied above everyone else. you believe that? <laughs> if, if this world is all there is, then Christians are a bunch of idiots. And he said, we ought to be pitied more than anybody else. He said, if, however, there's more to our existence than the eye can see and the hands can touch, then those who are most to be pitied are those who spend their time on lives obsessed with miracle, material stuff but not focus on heavenly things. See, in the end, if all you're going to look for is material stuff, at the end of your life, all you have to show for yourself is maybe a little land, a, a house, some money in the bank, nice lawn, a photo album of some good vacations, maybe a timeshare or a condo someplace or a car or a whole bunch of family portraits in the hall, and that's about it. But yet some of you are probably thinking, you yeah, know, that wouldn't be bad. That wouldn't be bad. Sounds good to me. Now, I'll tell you that, although there's absolutely nothing wrong with the stuff I just gave you, the tragedy is most people in this world settle for that. They overlook the fact that life offers a whole lot more than that list. Maybe you've seen that bumper sticker. Uh, it, it says, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins. You've seen that one? Well, the reality is he that dies with the most toys still dies. That's the real story. Now tonight I want to consider something that I would call, it's something more. It's high definition living as opposed to just flat, ordinary, just whatever this world has. And it kind of takes some working wisdom. See, we come alive spiritually through the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you noticed in that second reading how many times the word spirit or Holy Spirit popped up in 13 verses. See, it's the Holy Spirit that is the that makes 
the biggest difference in our lives. He is the difference that makes a difference. The Holy Spirit is what transforms us from being merely religious to being truly spiritual. Uh, Bill Bright, who is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, one time said this. He said, if there were only one truth I could share with the Christian world, it would be how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For there is no single truth that is more important to the believer. Now, I think what Bill Bright was saying is this. It's impossible to make your life high definition without experiencing what we would call the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so if your life is living in black and white, the Holy Spirit can turn it into living color. So tonight, just based on this text from Corinthians, I want to talk a little bit about uh, how to experience the fullness of a Spirit-filled life. And there are really three things that I want to mention tonight. First of all, Paul commands here in this text, he said, learn more about the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what he said? Verse 1, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. Someone wrote a book a number of years ago, it's called The Forgotten Part of the Trinity. And the whole thrust of the book was we talk a lot about Jesus. In fact, probably 90% of our talker is all about Jesus. Jesus died, Jesus saved us, Jesus did this, follow Jesus, be a Christ, blah, 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 blah. And then we talk a little bit about God, how God created the world, God does this. But sometimes we, we don't ever talk about the Holy Spirit, except when we get to the end, in the name of the Father, Son, and the whole, and it's like, oh yeah, and by the way, the Holy Spirit, amen. It's like we're not really tapping into the whole trinity. Paul says, now about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, that word spiritual gifts is a Greek word which is pneumaticon. It means, literally, things of a spiritual nature or things belonging to the spirit. So what Paul is saying is, don't overlook the spiritual side of life. Don't be ignorant about what the Holy Spirit, the role the Holy Spirit plays. Now, I've recognized in my life that there are generally about two mistakes that people make when it comes to spiritual things. One mistake is to completely disregard uh, spiritual things altogether. You know, people will say, well, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. I, you know, that, that hocus-pocus, you know, spirit stuff, don't want anything to do with it. That person tends to focus on the world. It rejects or at least is uncomfortable with anything that has to do with the supernatural. Uh, this person is likely to say, uh, why pray for God to help me? Uh, I can get more done by just rolling up my sleeves and working hard. And this kind of a person is, I suppose could best be defined as a practical atheist. There's an interesting book, by the way. You ought to read that one uh, about practical atheism. A practical atheist is really a person who claims to believe in God, but there's nothing in their personal life that shows any sign of a spiritual pulse. Now, that's one extreme. Don't want anything to do with supernatural. The other mistake is to embrace everything related to spirituality without any discernment or any spiritual perception. That's why you watch enough uh, talk shows on television. There are countless pseudo-spiritual self-help 
wackos. Uh, wacko, is that, I think that's Greek, isn't it? Is that Greek, Mark? Wacko? Yeah. They're, but they're pseudo-spiritual self-help wackos who talk about God. They do all of this kind of spiritual kind of stuff, but there's absolutely no biblical substance to what they're saying. That's why people who swallow that stuff, I mean, they gulp down this ankle-deep theology, still kind of wander around, wondering why their spiritual lives seem so empty. See, when it comes to the Holy Spirit or having a spirit-filled life, there are a variety of opinions out there. And you can find nuts on both ends of the spectrum. You find people who want nothing to do with the spirits, and you have other people who fall for anything that has to do with the spiritual. What you really need, I think what I actually wrote down, I should have written something else, I said you need an informed level of balance. What I should have said is what you need is a biblical balance of what it is that you actually believe. The Bible says you've got to know this stuff so that you don't get tossed back and forth on the waves of everything that comes down the road. Somebody sent me an email today and said, Pastor, you've got to read this book. And it's about this boy who supposedly died and went to heaven and talked to his grandpa and everything. And, you know, the first thing I thought, okay, I've heard about a lot of near-death experience, stuff like that. But I also know that the Bible says there's appointed once for man to die, then the judgment. And so I'm like, how do I balance that out? Or, you know, there's, there's a number of other things. Some of you read, uh, you guys probably know, the Rob Bell thing. You know, a pastor who said he really doesn't think there's really an ultimate hell. Hell is kind of what you experience here on earth. You know, and a lot of people are wrestling with that. And I guess the best thing about something like that is it at least forces people to go back into the Bible and say, is this true? But I'd say a lot, a lot of people just listen to people and never go back into the Bible and actually check it out to see whether it's true. That's why Paul says, don't be ignorant. You all know what ignorant means, don't you? I don't have to define it for you. Do I have to point at some of you? No, I won't. Just kidding. But don't be ignorant. So how do you get this balanced view? Well, the Bible tells us everything we need to know about the nature and work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's through the Bible. You take your Bible, and you find out, first of all, that the Holy Spirit is not some sort of a Star Wars force. You know, let the force be with you. The Spirit is personal. The Spirit is never it. The Spirit actually is He. I mean, I read my Bible. You know what I find about the Holy Spirit? Through the Bible, we learn how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We learn how He gives us direction on a day-to-day basis. We... Uh, learn how not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We learn how to pray through the Spirit. We learn how to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So we've got to take Paul's advice. Do not be ignorant about spiritual things. Now, I'm talking about the Holy Ghost, but I'm going I'm to move over here. There's another spirit out there that a lot of people don't know what to do with either. It's called the devil. And again, you've got the extremes. People say, no such thing. And then you've got the other extreme. There's a devil behind every bush. Biblical balance. Be aware of spiritual things. Now, second thing it says here is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if I were preaching in a Pentecostal church, people would say, oh, you're going to talk about speaking in tongues or flopping in the aisle or dancing or or whatever. I'm I'm just going to talk about what it means to be filled in the Spirit biblically. 
verse 13, I read a little bit further in here. Verse 13 says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Or in the old King James, it says, We were baptized by one spirit into one body, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now, I think if, if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you know that Jesus' death on the cross, through the blood of Christ, we are saved. His death, his suffering death and resurrection brings about salvation. But the Holy Spirit is involved in every aspect of that. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. It's the Holy Spirit that calls us to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that regenerates us. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us assurance of our salvation. I'm thinking the, in the catechism where Luther says, you know, I cannot by my own reason or senses believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but that the Holy Spirit, what, calls, gathers, enlightens us. Now I'm going to split a little theological hair here. You know, when you're saved you receive the Holy Spirit. We're going to have a baptism Sunday. We believe that through the water and the word that the Holy Spirit is, comes there, you know, becomes the resident president. And that little baby, when it's baptized, or however you come to Jesus, you know, a guy walks the aisle at the prison last week and we baptize him. They receive the Holy Spirit. But they don't receive just the Holy Spirit. They receive all of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that does not mean that you're now going to get more of the Holy Spirit. What it means is that the Holy Spirit gets more of you. There's a big difference. You don't get more of him. He's getting more of you. So being filled with the Holy Spirit, what does that really mean? It means being led by. It means to be controlled by. That's why Paul says, so I live, so I say, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, if you're paying any attention at all, you might say, well, how do I, how do I get filled by the Holy Spirit? How does that happen? Well, I've studied this. I'm going to let you in on a secret tonight. But I'm going to have to warn you. It's hard. You've got to know the right things. You've got to do the right things. You've got to say the right things. There is a specific process that you go through in order to be filled with the Spirit, and it has to be done exactly or it won't work at all. Y'all ready for the secret? Here it is. Ask. There it is. That's it. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you ask God to fill you with the Spirit, which means, Lord, take all of me. Remember that? There's a hit. We probably could have sung this hymn tonight. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, you know, let them be filled with ceaseless praise. You know, take, my, what, take my silver and my gold, not a might would I withhold. You know, you know, all that stuff. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Just take everything. You receive the Holy Spirit, basically the same way you might say, you receive salvation. I mean, Paul said, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? I want to be a part of that. See, you make your life a masterpiece. You go from black and white to color or you go to high-definition living 
It's a matter of living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's why sometimes my kids, my kids tell me, um, somebody, uh, my kids don't go to a Missouri Synod Lutheran church. Uh, they were going to um, a Baptist church for a long time, fellowship, and they've just, both of them, uh, they've all changed to another church. They now go to a church called Compass Church, C-O-M-P-A-S-S, you know, like the compass, shows you the direction. And it's a kind of a non-denominational church, not Baptist, it's not Lutheran, it's not Episcopalian, any of that. And, uh, and they're going into this church, they say, oh, so oh, do you have parents? Where do your parents go? Well, uh, Cheryl's mom and her husband are pretty, pretty rigid Roman Catholic. And they say, well, what about your dad? Your mom did. And Eric says, oh, I always tell him my dad's a pastor. Oh, really? What denomination, or, or what church, they don't, most people go to non-denomination churches don't even care about denominations, to be honest with you. Oh, what church? And he says, well, my dad is kind of a Lutheran Baptocostal. And it's like, what does that mean? He says, well, biblically, <laughs> he's a Lutheran. <laughs> he said, but some of the ways he thinks about things tend to be a little bit more Baptist and Pentecostal. He said, without sacrificing Lutheran doctrine. And so I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. A Luther, a Baptist, Costal. And I probably, you know, having some reverence for the sacraments, which Catholics do, I'm probably a Luther, a Baptist, Costal, Ick. <laughs> or whatever it is. But see, being filled with the Spirit is just a matter of asking to be filled, making yourself available to Him. You know, I could preach down at, at Angola, and there'll be people who come up and they'll say, so what, are you, what branch of the Pentecostal church you're in? Because sometimes I'll talk about, you know, dealing with the Holy Spirit. But it's just be filled. Be knowledgeable about it. Don't be ignorant. But then be filled, which is a different way of saying, say, here I am, all of me. There's a third part of this that Paul's talking about. He says, discover your spiritual gifts and use them. Now, down at verse 7, that's why I read you a few extra verses, it says, now to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's an interesting verse. Now again, if you're a Christian sitting here tonight, guess what? The gift of the Spirit has been given to you. The manifestation, you got spiritual gifts. And in this section of Corinthians, Paul actually listens. I, I read some of them to you. He mentions several gifts. For example, wisdom. The spiritual gift of wisdom. There's the spiritual gift of knowledge. And guess what? There's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. If I had my grandpa here, we could have a stark, you'd know what it was. I probably have the knowledge, but my grandpa had the wisdom. You know, he stands outside and goes, it's going to rain in 10 minutes, and it'll come out of the east. <laughs> uh, he knew when to plant potatoes, you know, like after Good Friday, you know, after... He had, he, had this, he had this wisdom about him. Then it talked about the spiritual gift of faith. Now, it's not saving faith, but this is... Do you know some people who just absolutely, positively believe? You know, they just they believe in God for everything. Okay, we all got saving faith when we're Christian, but some people just seem to have this, man, by golly, God's going to come. Gifts of healing. That's a spiritual gift. Some people have that gift. Prophecy. And then he says, interpreting tongues. I mean, understanding what people are saying when people speak in tongues. 
Now, unfortunately, we often get distracted by what we call these sign gifts or these special gifts. Because when I was in Africa and these guys would come up and they said, uh, I said, what can I pray for? They said, we want the gift of the Holy Spirit. I know exactly what they're asking for. They want me to pray that they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that they can speak in tongues, interpret tongues, heal people, whatever. Well, you know, it's much more than that. People get kind of hung up on that kind of stuff, and they miss the point. The point is that when you become a Christian, we all receive certain spiritual gifts, but they're there to be used to serve one another. If you're not using them to serve other people, if they're not for the common good, it doesn't make any difference. By the way, that list I just read to you, that's not exhaustive. Uh, I mean, Romans 12, Paul has a whole bunch more. Ephesians, he has a whole bunch more. He said your gift might be giving, uh, service, prophecy, wisdom, encouragement, teaching, helping, all kinds of stuff. But the common characteristic of every last single gift is that they build other people up. That's why when I was in a, I guess, a fairly Pentecostal church one time up in Michigan, I went and visited because I was doing a pastor's conference for the Michigan district. And I was sitting about a third of the way back. And as the pastor was preaching, this man in the church stood up and began speaking in tongues. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody speak in tongues. But he stood up and started speaking in tongues. And I sat there and I watched the pastor. And the pastor was looking like this. He was looking all around the church. And he finally said, John, sit down. No one knows what you're talking about. It was not for the common good. But later in the service, somebody else stood up and did that. And the pastor, again, he looked, he looked, he looked. He let the guy talk. He says, okay, uh, Fred, you heard him. You know what he's saying. And Fred got up and told us what they, he said. Again, so it made it for the common good. Now, the question is, is the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good? Now, what gift has God given you? Well, gifts are kind of defined by the benefit that they give. And that's why there's a big difference between talent and a spiritual gift. Now, I told Gwen I was going to talk about her tonight. For example, playing the organ, playing the piano, playing the keyboard is not a spiritual gift. I mean, because a lot of people can play the piano or organ or, or, or keyboard, but Gwen has, I believe, this kind of gift of service you know, and she sacrifices a, a certain amount of her time you know, to come and practice with the choir and with the bells. And, you know, she's here on Wednesdays and she does these other things. And she plays, if it's not Wednesday, and, and on Sunday. And, you know, Wayne does that as well. Uh, and I'll be real honest with you, using both of them, they both work pretty hard to do this. They don't get paid a whole lot of money. They probably don't get near as much recognition as they probably could. But, use Gwen as an example, Gwen is a whole lot more than just a piano player. She's a whole lot more than a keyboard player or an organist. She's a servant. Her spiritual gift probably is service. She enjoys doing it. I'm, assu I'm assuming you enjoy it, Gwen. Nod your head. Okay. <laughs> and, and her musical ability gives her the opportunity to practice her spiritual gift. And I'd suggest that if she were suddenly, for some reason, unable to play the keyboards or something, she'd probably find another way to serve. So you don't really need talent in order to be gifted. The Spirit is giving you a gift that you can use to 
uh, build other people up. When I was teaching at Hong Kong International School, I, got a, I went to check my mailbox one day, and there was a note inside, and it basically complimented me for something I had done, and it was signed Barnabas. I don't know anybody in there, Barnabas. In fact, I, I went and looked at all the teachers. We had, you know, you got almost 2,000 kids. You got about 100 and some teachers. I was looking for somebody whose first name was Barnabas or last name. Couldn't. And I said to somebody else in the faculty room, anybody know who this Barnabas is? That Somebody said, nope, nobody knows. I said, so what's the deal? Well, he writes letters, or he or she writes letters of encouragement constantly. Well, that's what the word Barnabas means, encouragement, or the son of encouragement. In, in my three years there, periodically, I'd find something in my box. It was just, you know, thank you for what you did last week at whatever. God bless you. That's what people that served through encouragement. For some people, it's teaching. Some people, it's leadership. So maybe you're probably, I wonder what your gift is. You know, using it puts purpose into everything you do. It's an act of obedience. Uh, you're not just playing a keyboard. You're not just leading a committee. You're not just dropping a few bucks in the plate. You're ministering to someone else. You're doing the work of God. And the result of that, when you understand it, is that seemingly mundane details take on a whole new meaning. Suddenly they have eternal significance. You know, discovering who God wired you up to do and then just doing it to serve other people, man, I, I, I'll tell you, that's, that's really powerful. It kind of changes you from black and white into full color, from ordinary to high definition. You know, before Jesus went back into heaven, he promised the disciples that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And he told about the work that the Holy Spirit would perform in our lives. He said, the Spirit will be your comforter. The Spirit will be your counselor. The Spirit will be your teacher. He will convict you of sin. He will convict you of righteousness. He will direct you towards a closer walk with Jesus. He will help you glorify God in your lives. He will give you power to live holy lives. He will give you power to witness. He will give you power to do whatever God has called you to do. I'm going to reflect back on last week. I'm teaching at Angola 50 inmates. I'm team teaching with a friend of mine I've known for 25 years. Teacher by profession. Math teacher, high school math teacher. Assistant principal, principal public high schools, now an assistant superintendent in the public schools. But knows her Bible. She's probably in her early 50s. She felt called by God to do something different, and she said, I know how God has wired me up, wired me to teach. And I took her along. She was following and doing what God called her to do, but now to serve other people. She's always felt a little short change. I'll tell you, a little short change because she can't really talk about Jesus in a public school setting. She always feels like she's just a little short. When I got home, I wrote her mom and dad a letter because they wanted me to look out for her. You know, the little girl's going off to big bad prison. And I wrote and I said, uh, you ought to be proud of your daughter. 
It was really a privilege to teach with somebody who was so well organized, such a great teacher, knows the word, just did an outstanding job. The guys really loved her. Well, I got, a le I got an email back today from her dad. He said, something's happened to our daughter because she said this was the most significant experience she's ever had in her life. This was the first time she ever felt totally gathered by the Spirit and used. Now, that's pretty powerful, but that can, that can be anybody. You know, I think any of you, that when you finally figure out what, you're, what God has wired you up to do and you end up doing it, I can't think of anything better in life. See, God asks, you know, I just say ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit so you can just use the gifts that he's given you so that you can build up other people and at the same time glorify God. That's living in the fullness of the Spirit. That is what I would call high-definition living. Well, as we gather our offering.